Hello, my name is Jiwoo. Welcome to episode four of The Proxy, a podcast by UW Coffee and Code designed to be your connection to the tech industry. This episode's guest is Mackenzie Derival, an entrepreneur and professional designer. Mackenzie has been exploring interactions between users and technology for as long as I've known him, specializing in product design, with his most recent work leading to an internship at Google. We talk about how he made his journey from an unexpected background, what life at Google was like, and how we can educate prospective designers and non-designers about what design actually is. If that sounds interesting, stick around for the show. Okay, so we're back for the fourth time for episode four with a new guest, um, same host, new guest, um, but all kinds of new stuff. Today we have Mackenzie Derival. I, I'm butchering your name, obviously, because no, it, you're, from, you're from Quebec and yeah. it's a French name, but I'm not of that origin. Derival. Derival. <laughs> it's not bad, right? It's not bad. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Okay, so we got Mac. Mac, you are a designer, right? Yeah. By trade. is that? Like, would you consider yourself a designer? Yes, definitely. Strictly? Yeah. Okay. What kind of design specifically? Uh, I design digital products, so like UX design. Mm-hmm. I also have experience with uh, designing services, uh, doing design research. So I have experience from like end to end of the okay. process. Yeah. So not like, I know sometimes for me, design catches me off guard and that like all that falls under the umbrella for design, right? Not just visuals and like designing web pages and stuff. There's a bunch of other things. Yeah. So I want to start off then by asking you, this is kind of like a cheesy question, but I think it is important. So what is your definition of design? I'm sure you've been asked this like a million times in interviews, but this is an interview, so <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, so um, for me, design is fundamentally problem solving. Um, so then as a designer, you're basically given a problem and your job is to use this problem solving process that people often refer to as design thinking uh, to solve the problem. Um, you can solve the problem like there's different ways to express a solution. It could be through visuals. It could be through services. It could even be through fashion. It could be through um, fashion services. It could be also through an object. Um, that's why design is a really broad field and there's all of these specialties. Mm. And so that's why design is fundamentally problem solving. And then as a, I, I guess, a UX designer, your job would be mainly to, um, I mean, create user experiences through UIs or other mechanism in order to solve these problems. That's very interesting that you identify design as problem solving because that's exactly how I describe engineering to people. <laughs> because like when I was starting, I would, you know, people would ask me like, what is engineering? And I was like, honestly, I have no idea. But like now that I'm here, the more I think about it, it's just a problem solving process. Yeah. And it's it's crazy that like we both consider problem solving to be either engineering or design. And then in the professional world, it's usually a little bit of both, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay, so and then I want to ask you so that's the what design has come to mean to you. Is that something where, like, knowing that informed your decision to want to study design? Or was it something more like you are a natural problem solver, you wanted to find something that you could put your problem solving skills to, and design ended up being that? That's, that's actually a really good question. I actually don't study design. Um, I actually studied at Waterloo in like liberal arts right. and I actually started in accounting and finance and then I went through economics. Oh, you started in AFM? Yeah, I told you. I didn't know. I thought you started in arts. No, I oh, started wow. in accounting and finance. At the beginning, my my goal was to become a, an investment banker and that's the reason why I came to Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and Waterloo had like this co-op program and I was seeing a lot of people were getting a job at, I guess, uh, Deloitte and like PwC. And I was like, oh, I want to do that too. And then from that transition to Amazon banking. But even, I, I mean, even before university, like I was always like brainstorming. I was always into entrepreneurship. So I was always like brainstorming ideas with my friends, watching videos about like entrepreneurships and startups. Um, I was, uh, even when I was in like first year, second year, um, I was... Like for my first summer, I worked at BlackBerry, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I was that. always into tech, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that it's um, crazy that natural problem-solving thing because it yeah. solves, it spans, sorry, like entrepreneurship and engineering and design, even finance. Definitely, like it's, yeah. It's just something part of your blood, eh? I think, yeah. Even like finance, you're in accounting, you're basically solving problem using these tools as your solution. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so then going from a, a like accounting and financial management, which is most people would consider not very much related to tech design and like user experience. How did you, because for, for those who don't know, you recently interned at Google yeah. as to, to crown the cap of design achievements. <laughs> um, but that's not, obviously, that's not where you started, right? So how did you go about basically coming from what I'm assuming is very little or no design education to where you ended up working at like probably one of the most influential design spaces in the world? Yeah, so, um, wait, so what was the question? How did you get there, dude? Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so basically I started accounting and finance and then I realized that I didn't like, I mean, I've always liked business and I, and I still like love business, but I didn't like, I guess, the accounting and the business education. So then uh, that led me to switch into economics, uh, not because I enjoyed it, but more because um, it would give me enough time to like work on other projects with my friends, um, like build things, go to hackathons and like actually like, you know, build things. And then through that, I discovered design. And then at the beginning, when I first got introduced to design, I got introduced and in a way of like design thinking. And I'm like, oh, right. wow. Like that's li- literally a process for me to like make better startup. Do you remember yeah. like the moment it clicked for you? Yeah, I remember the day. Really? Okay, yeah. you got to tell us the story. What happened? It was, okay, so I was doing, I was working on this idea. It was like a speech-to-text app. And uh, I was showing that to my friend. And my friend was like, oh, Mackenzie, you should be learning design uh, so that you can actually design your own software. And, I'm, and then at the beginning, I was like, no, like, I just want to be doing business. And then, like, bit by bit, I just, uh, I was like, oh, like, in terms of my contribution, like, I don't, I cannot contribute much. So then, um, so then I was like, oh, so I just started watching YouTube videos about design. And then, yeah, I just fell in love with the process. Right. And then from that process, it was at uh, Christmas, actually. I was on, like, Linda, so, like, LinkedIn Learning, just learning about design, just enjoying it, uh, learning about the whole process. And then, uh, and then what I started doing after that was I started giving myself prompt and problems that I could solve. And that's, that was my beginning as a designer. Damn. Where do, okay, I'm curious. Where do you go to find design prompts? Because I know for programming, there's a lot of resources, but I'm not really sure what, like, I guess, I got, are they like case studies? Yeah, so that's, that's actually how I started uh, through case studies. So I would say prompt. That's a question that I get asked often. Um, but in terms of prompt, just look around you and see if there's a problem that you can solve and then just solve it using the design process. Mm. Like, like, literally. It's everywhere. It, it's, there's problems everywhere. Like there's problems around you everywhere. So you can just, so if you understand the process enough, you can take any problem, break it down, and then solve it through the design process. And if the solution is a user interface, build a user interface and put that on your portfolio. If the solution is a service, for example, you can 
buy Legos and prototype the whole Damn. experience through Legos. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's is that a, is that like an industry patented approved method? <laughs> I, I've actually seen. Uh, I've actually heard of conferences of Lego design where people really? would prototype would prototype um, hospitals like wow. services Are in you hospitals serious? using Legos. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So all my childhood was not wasted. Is what you're telling me. <laughs> no, exactly. Okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, just just give just take a, any space that you're really passionate about and just do a case study on it. Like, I was helping. I was um, talking to this girl, and she had a case study on bubble tea because she just really liked bubble tea, and the case study was really good. Damn. So you can you can that's take a serious whatever. problem too. Like I yeah. people need their bubble tea. Yeah, like you don't want to wait in line for bubble tea. Absolutely, no. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's and that's like that's one of those spaces where if you really think about it, you can make a lot of money yeah. from optimizing like customer service, those kinds of things at big bubble tea chains, big fast food, all that kind of stuff. Definitely interesting. So um, you worked on all these case studies. Was like what was the process for getting to Google? Like like was there any specific like I want exactly Google, and you kind of tailored what you were working on in your spare time to Google or what, did it kind of just come upon you? Um, I would say that Google was just an outcome of everything I was doing. Uh, you were my, meant for it. Uh, I don't think I <laughs> was meant for it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was more of, I just like to like build things. I just like to design things. So I will just do that. And then at some point that led into a startup. And then from that startup, that led into Google. But the startup was not... In my opinion, the reason why I got into Google, it was more all of the personality traits that I've, um, I guess that I've that I had that led through all of this. Right. So the startup was kind of the uh, the example, the byproduct of you being you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There you go. Interesting. So, um, oh man, I had a question and I totally forgot. <laughs> but so you ended you ended up at Google. Uh, when did you work there? From, uh, last summer. Last so summer. From end of May to end of August. Okay. So I want to ask you, I'm sure like there's a lot of talk, especially in the city and the school, about people's perceptions of what it's like to work at Google. <laughs> was it, and I'm just asking for you, like, was it what you expected? Like, what expectations did you have going in? And then, like, did it end up meeting, like, not meeting, or, like, you know, going above and beyond kind of thing? Uh, for me... Okay, Google was like a really great experience. Uh, I was expecting it to be great, and it was it was great. And I would recommend anyone to have the chance to like go work at Google. To I think if anybody like, could, we all it, would definitely jump yeah. on it. Uh, but in terms of expectations, so um, in terms of my wait, let me think about this one. Uh, I've, I I usually don't think about that that much because I know uh, definitely like for me with my job I had a lot of expectations and like you said like my experience working where I worked like um, was great but it was great for different reasons than I thought it would be you know what I mean yeah so in terms of Google um, I've because of all of my experience I've always had a bitter taste of like let's say corporations oh um, so yeah. you, you were you were like worried about the corporate culture exactly it's gonna be slow and uh yeah it's google but goes to corporations so like it's and it's slow, big it's and hella it's big, big. It, and it's hella big too um but then when i when i entered there i was like okay it's not has fast but it's super organized and when things get slowed um a lot of the time it's like for a reason Mm. So, for example, before shipping a product, you need to go through different steps. So, like, 
you need to, um, so your design needs to compile to a material design standard because it needs to be cohesive with all of the other products. You need to meet uh, accessibility standards and then you need to ship it internally to see if people, so yes, these are, I, I would say slow, like process that slows you down, but at the same time, it's friction that is required for Google to keep shipping great product consistently. At that scale too. At that scale too. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, the people, the people are just amazing. Uh, I was, I was not, I mean, it was like, I was expecting to be working with amazing people, but at the same time, you don't believe that you will be able to do it because you've always been, for example, for me, I've always been working on my own projects, on like my own startup. Um, so then being there and telling yourself, wow, like I'm actually working with these really high caliber people. We were just talking about that on the episode before this one about yeah. like kind of finding your tribe and embracing the people that are like weird in your own way. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like people that are a little nuts, but like in the way that you're also a little nuts. Yeah. It's such a nice feeling. You and, know? and adding to that nuts thing, a lot of the time when I was, uh, for example, doing startup or talking about design at school, people were like, oh, uh, sometimes I felt like I was like really weird because yeah. uh, there's not a lot of designers at Waterloo. Dude, I totally feel that. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a huge thing. <laughs> exactly. But. So then when I went to Google, I was like, oh my God, there's all of these people that are like, weird like me <laughs> yeah. so that was so that was really great to be part of that environment and um just being able to relate to other people and that was your job like you, got, you job. got paid to do that to work with all those weirdos in the best way of course yeah you know okay so i hold a, a quick side tangent so you mentioned material design and i know yeah. um some designers that i know and other people that i know uh are not fans of material design are yeah. you pro material design or con material design uh or do you are you required to not have an opinion because you work there? That's not true. Everyone can have an opinion. That's that's also very true. I would say that um, material design is a philosophy that you need to interpret in your own way. Wow, that's a lot heavier of an answer than I expected. Okay, what is what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, let me think. So material design is just so it's a design philosophy that you need to take. So um, Google doesn't want you doesn't want all of the products to be looking the same. Really? No, they don't. Interesting. That's so, why Google Material I, yeah. Design is just a standard that is really open to interpretation. Google has their own interpretation of Material Design internally. Mm -hmm. And they open up Material Design in a way that anyone right now can build decent looking product right so okay explain to the because i'm not familiar with it and i'm sure some of the audiences might not yeah. be what are the principles of material design then are, are you allowed to talk about that if you're not it's chill don't worry about it yeah let's, but let's okay skip let's let's skip that yeah. stuff but so well, i've always thought that because every time i've interacted material design or interacted with material design it's just been like i look at icons and people tell me this is material design and i'm like they kind of look similar but i didn't know google is so um like philosophical about it. I would say that with material design, you see in the same way for when you look at a design, you see the UI, you see the interface, but you don't think about all of the work that is behind it. Right. If you look at material design, it's going to be the same way. You're going to get sticker sheet on Sketch where you can just copy paste component. You're going to see um, icons, but then when you go and read the actual documentation, you're going to be like blown away because you're going to see all of these standards yeah. and like patterns that you didn't know before. Mm -hmm. um, for example, material design, they have uh, 
they have a lot of research on like how to learn motion, on accessibility. And these are things that if you, that is usually not really being taught at school. Oh yeah, so accessibility definitely. Accessibility. Like we have very little education about that. Exactly, so if you don't have a company like Google who outsource all of these things for anyone to learn, it's gonna be really hard for, I guess, anyone to learn about motion design or learn about accessibility. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So. Can you talk about what you worked on at Google? Is that pub is that something you can say publicly? Or like uh, yeah, I can yeah, talk about so it, what yeah. what did you do there when you were there? So I worked on two projects, but I mainly focused on one. Um one of my projects was to create motion patterns for the design system mm -hmm. of G Suite. So I worked on the design system. Okay, so just like the literal moving parts of G Suite. Yeah. And G Suite is the so like not a lot of people know oh, it's the so corporate no no yeah it's fine it's like the corporate version of all the google tools i guess uh, it's basically the enterprise version of google ah, okay cool so that's like that's pretty that's serious and it's something that's uh a lot of people are going to touch right yeah um so i wanted to ask you this is one of the things i wanted to bring up like google is almost unmatched in terms of scale except other than maybe facebook um, does it feel that way? Like when you work there, like, do you feel like you are working on something that's going to touch like millions and millions of people or do they like hide it from you? No. Yes. Like you, like I would say that it's interesting. I would say that you are aware of that, mm -hmm. but when you, I would say work on it, you're so into the technical complexity of like your work that sometimes you, I would say, forget and like, okay, yeah, I'm designing for billions of people. Yes, I acknowledge that. But now let's actually do the work so that I can deliver the, deliver good quality design. You got to design for one person before you design for a billion people, right? Exactly. And, but when you do user research, you would basically inform your design with the data that you get. Hmm. So that's, I would say, the reminder of the scale. Yeah. Oh, okay. It sort of reminds you of the scale. So but, is it like very diverse in terms of the research that you do on different kinds of users? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Very, very cool. So, I, I mean, that's that's relieving to hear and that like designers are keeping uh, keeping a check on the fact that they're building tools for like a lot, a lot of people. Because, you know, I don't know, lately there's been a lot of things and changes at tech companies where I think they've kind of forgotten that they have a billion users. <laughs> you know, not going to point any fingers at any blue companies specifically, <laughs> but, you know, it happens. Um so wrapping up the Google story, then you're done, obviously. Are you going back? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay, well, we'll keep that as a maybe for now. But um, I wanted to ask you, partly for me and for other people too, like people who are considering working there, are there any like uh, pitfalls or like con, like hidden cons that you should be aware of? Because I know there are definitely, that kind of happens at some companies where you work there for long enough and you're just like, huh, maybe I should have thought about this before I got here. Yeah, um, I would say that when you work with a lot of i would say really smart people mm -hmm. um sometimes not it's, it's really hard to get along with each other but a lot of the time you need to i would say develop these soft skills and like find ways to like express better so it's not really a pitfall but it's just that you need to be aware that um you need to convey your ideas better to other people mm. So it's a pitfall, but you need to work on this. A lot of people, for example, um, they would think that, oh, like working at a big company, there's a lot of like politics, but navigating through politics is actually a skill. 
Oh, definitely. So, because so, it's it's inevitable with more than one person. Yeah, exactly. So yes, like it's it's a pitfall, but at the same time, you need to go through that pitfall. Yeah. You need and to see all of these pitfalls, ab- obstacles they need to overcome, and you can use design as a process. To there do you that. go. I mean, you know, those job <laughs> postings that say like excellent communication skills is like a preferred qualification. Like they're not kidding when yeah. they say that. And like, man, like if you work at a corporate-ish company, like any company bigger than 200 people, you really, really realize how important it is for people to be clear telling you exactly what they want. Or otherwise things are just gonna get lost in translation, right? Yeah, definitely. Like when I was like, well, I was like, oh my God, like like collaboration is so important. I didn't, I thought collaboration was easy. No, collaboration is super hard. Um, communication, like, oh no, you're in a room with like, VPs and design leads and other designers like okay how can I uh, like communicate my ideas in a way that people can understand so then when I was at Google I was like oh storytelling is actually super important really yeah so okay so you you, you became like a storyteller kind of person there to like communicate I would say I tried after after, after when I left um, one of the skills that I wanted to develop was storytelling really yeah that's so sweet to be no yeah. to be able to so, for example, you have tons of information that you're trying to present to people. So how do you do that in a compelling way, in a way that doesn't bore them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way that's got to connect with them too, right? And like it's storytelling. A way that has to connect with them. Yeah. So that's yeah. definitely true of like games and stuff. Yeah. Like where I work, like there, there's a reason people love playing them is because the stories they tell connect with all those people. There you go. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So um, I always like to end episodes with kind of like a more uh, forward facing look. And I know you and I are both excited to talk about design education because you're doing so much work, especially <laughs> at this school. And like you mentioned, there's not a lot of designers here, no. but there's plenty of people who would like to be designers. And that kind of gap between uh, people we have who've like quote unquote made it um, versus people who are still like working on those skills. I think it's it's almost like sad how big the gap is. Um, so I I have a lot of thoughts about this too, but I want to get your opinion on like how do you make design education more accessible? Because th- like it's one of those things that I feel like it's so lacking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, just to come back to your statement, I actually don't think that I made it. I think that I have a lot of work to do. Listen, for the purposes so. of this show, you made it. If <laughs> you think, sit on that I side think. of the table, you are someone who I consider has made it. <laughs> I think that's I have the a law lot of work to do. But in terms of design education, you know what? That's a really hard question. I think that design, it's a lot about the mindset that you have um, and the way you see things, in my opinion, in the way that I think that I've evolved a lot since I started design uh, in terms of how I think, uh, in terms of how I perceive things. Yeah, and it makes you more empathetic. And it makes me more empathetic. Um, it yeah. makes me a lot of the time I see things. I'm like, okay, now I need to take a step back. But then a lot of the time you wouldn't be thinking. But a lot of time, sorry, a lot of the time in the past I wouldn't be taking step backs. Yeah. Um, how can you make design education more accessible? You know what? That's that's a really great question. I personally feel that it's by putting more information out there, um, telling like having I would say the big design people like trying to convey like the knowledge um to the younger people and even just amongst peers like you amongst peers so you work on cofolios yeah uh i i'm a volunteer on cofolios or like you are a person who can be contacted on cofolios definitely and like that's one of those platforms where i think where people reach out to people who they want to meet who have worked at specific companies like that's such a good tool because you're getting it from someone you know who worked there and is 
was in your shoes like not that long ago, right? Yeah, I think that Askew made the creator of Cofolios did a really great job at that. Mm -hmm. At um, so so basically, what Cofolio is is a website that showcases the portfolios of designers who worked at top tech companies so like Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, and more. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he did a great job at that because yeah. right now anyone, I remember when I started design, I had to go through LinkedIn and type Google designer and then like try to find portfolios. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how so you, you were doing literally it. hunt them down. Like, exactly. Dang. You had to hunt them down. You really hustled, dude. Like, yeah, you I really, really hustled. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of hustle. Yeah. But, then, but right now you can just go on portfolios and do what I was, do what it took me like probably like a couple hours to do and do that in like a couple minutes. And isn't it crazy how that was a problem that was solved by design? Exactly. Amazing, right? Yeah. It's, this, it's this amazing <laughs> positive feedback cycle. Like the more I learn about it, the cooler it is. Yeah. Um, that's super good. So I, like I'm a big, uh, I don't know, I think the school has a big responsibility to get like technical people who are working in these fields to think more about design. And I read them, I don't know if you follow the, every year the systems, the graduating systems engineering class, they put together a set of data um, and one of the sections in that data set is the courses that they all enjoyed most. And number one on that list of the graduating class of systems 2018 was design thinking. This that was so their cool. favorite course. This is so cool. And it's it's true, right? Like once you learn about it, it really changes the way you think about those kinds of things. Oh, you know what? A thing with that education that I think about right now is I've taken some design classes and I've heard of friends who took design classes. Mm -hmm. I think that it's also that a lot of like a big problem with design education is also the way it's being thought. Uh, a lot of the time, design is being thought as this really magical process, step by step process. There's six six hexagons mm -hmm. of design thinking, and it's like you need to do all of this, and then you'll come to a solution. Mm -hmm. But design, and then people when they see this, they think of design as this really linear process. But then when you start Go, you, when you start actually trying to solve design problem, you realize that it's not linear at all. It's really messy. And a lot of people have a lot of difficulties dealing with that ambiguity. Yeah. And I think um, in terms of design education, you need to help, you need to teach people how to deal with ambiguity, um, how to understand, help them understand complexity. Yeah. Um, for example, I'm teaching, I'm uh, giving workshops every single week. And my first uh, module was uh, systems thinking and systems theory, because I want to teach people that this world in which you're going to be designing in is really complex. Yeah. So here are tools for you to understand that complexity, acknowledge that complexity, and design within that complexity. And when you work at a place like Google, for example, when you're designing for billions of people, you need to understand that <laughs> that complexity. Right. As the, the internet likes to say, modern problems require modern solutions, right? Exactly. So we're just about out of time, but I do, that's that's a great note to end it on. I hope, you know, that the you and all the people out there working on Cofolio and all the other tools, like you guys are doing a great job helping people get into this industry and make an impact on the technology that's that we're using every day. Um, so Mac, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure to hear you talk. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's it for this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye, everybody. Okay, that was episode four. We hope you had as much fun listening to it as we had making it. As always, if you liked it, feel free to follow us wherever you found us and give us a shout on Facebook. This episode was sponsored by the University of Waterloo's Mathematics Endowment Fund and, of course, UW Coffee and Code.
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.